1: Welcome, welcome KKNW listeners and Transformation Talk Radio listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart and I am the pushy broad from the Bronx. I am here today, subbing for Dr. Pat and I am sending her lots of love and gratitude for allowing me to do this special program with you today. Every single month, Dr. Pat and I host a show called Recovery Recharge which happens the second Monday of every month. During that time, we tell you transformative stories of people that have gone through struggles and gone from struggle to freedom. We also talk about what it's like to live a life of recovery. Those stories are personal to me, to Dr. Pat, and to the people that we share their experience, strength, and hope. Today, I have a very special story for you. Actually, it all started in the summer of 2019, when I received a phone call from a woman seeking help for her husband, who she believed might have a drinking problem. But what started out as a cry for help for him turned into a terrifying roller coaster of events for her. This woman is here with me today. She wanted to tell you this very compelling story. So KKNW listeners and Transformation Talk Radio listeners, I would like to to introduce to you today, Em. Good morning, Em. How are you? Good morning, Ellen. I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks so much for being here. I know that we have a great story to tell everybody. So I want to start from the beginning talk to me about how you first met your husband and let us know what things you saw in the very, very beginning that caused you to be concerned.
0: Well, going all the way back to the beginning, I first met my uh, my then just friend online. And from there, we developed a, a very deep friendship one that I felt was extremely fulfilling. Um, And eventually, I would end up uh, marrying this this man and becoming his wife. But at the beginning, I saw no real red flags.
1: And you had a long distance relationship for a while, did you not? Tell us about that.
0: That's correct. Uh, We met online, we were introduced by somebody who was uh, a listener of Uh, my work who introduced me to him. He had his own radio show uh, and we were long distance. I was based in London and he was based uh, in New Jersey.
1: And then when did you first get together with him and spend some uh, consistent time together?
0: There was never any real period of consistent time spending because having a transatlantic relationship uh, is is very expensive and very challenging. But uh, he did come and visit me in London, I think on about two occasions. And I spent uh, about a month or so at a time in New Jersey uh, every six months or so.
1: And during that time, a month or so at a time in New Jersey, did you notice anything about his behavior that you might have questioned?
0: Nothing at all. He was charismatic, kind, attentive, the perfect gentleman.
1: So about how long did that long distance relationship go on?
0: We were long distance for about two years.
1: And then you made a permanent move to the United States and shortly after got married?
0: Correct. Uh, We wanted to test the viability of our relationship. Uh, We had known each other for about six years and together for two of those. And we spent six months living together. Uh, During that time, it was a a little difficult. Money was a bit tight. Um, But we thought that we could make a good go of things.
1: So during that time, there was absolutely no evidence of a change in behavior, uh, about any kind of addictive behavior, any drinking behavior. That would have been a red flag for you?
0: Nothing at all. I thought that I was the most lucky woman in the entire world.
1: So here you are, and you've reached a point where you're about to move into a brand new home together in the fall of 2019. What brought you to make that telephone call to me in August of 2019?
0: Well, we had been married for just over a year or two at that point. And what I had started to notice was that there were some behavioral changes in my former partner. Um, there was a lot more secrecy. He was a lot more uh, testy with me when I had questions. Give me examples
1: of that. What do you mean secret? What was he keeping from you?
0: Well, I had found a few liquor bottles in the garage as well as behind towels in the uh, the bathroom. And I thought this was very peculiar because I had never seen him drink even, even socially. And I thought that perhaps they had been put there by a guest perhaps, or in the garage left over by former tenants. And uh, whenever I would bring this up to him, he would be very cut and evasive and let me know that uh, there was nothing for me to worry about. And with more frequency, I would begin finding more of the exact same bottles. And from there, he started to become outright uh, rude, uh, uh, very dismissive, very belittling of me calling me crazy. And there were times that I would spend uh, nights alone in hotel rooms talking to my friends back in London, because I didn't know what to do. I thought I was going crazy.
1: So when you confronted him, and you said, what's going on with these bottles all over the place? When you said he was he was telling you that you were crazy? What exactly was he saying?
0: He would be telling me, knowing that in the past I had worried about another partner of mine's drinking habits, um, he would tell me that I was projecting my old insecurities onto him and that it was not fair, uh, and that if I had any faith in him and any confidence in my husband, that I should listen to him and that it was hurtful to him that I would think that he would lie to me.
1: So he made it seem as if you were having some kind of psychological difficulty and those questions were coming out of nowhere. Correct. So that would mean that you began to think that maybe you were wrong in accusing him of all of these things. Is that what happened?
0: Yes. I, I thought that my view of him might be skewed. I had no reason to believe that he was drinking. He didn't appear in my mind what I think of as someone, the way they act when they are drunk. I never smelled any kind of alcohol on him. Um, And and at times he could be very attentive. So I thought that perhaps there wasn't really an issue there.
1: So in addition to the phantom liquor bottles that are being left all over the place in strange places and his out and out denial of these things happening right in front of you and making you question your own psychological sanity what other behaviors began to manifest which gave you the idea that maybe there's a problem here
0: well financially i ended up taking over a lot of the rent and the bills and Something that was very peculiar to me was that initially um, I had very little contact with our landlords, but eventually I had to step up and become the one who would speak to them. And at times I wouldn't be able to communicate with my husband at all about how he was planning on um, contributing to the rent. And at times... it would be weeks on end before I would have a, a direct answer and I would have to go and speak to landlords myself and say, I can't get a straight answer on when he will be able to pay his, his share.
1: So all of a sudden you found that some of his responsibilities to the marriage and to the upkeep of the household began to diminish. Is that what you're saying? All of a sudden he was unable to financially become a supportive husband?
0: That's right, and I also found that a lot of the financial contributions that I made um, to the household seemed to perhaps be squandered because the arrangement that we had was that I would pay him in cash, being at the time a non-finalized resident of the United States. And as such, I wasn't able to hold bill accounts in my name. He had full control over any online accounts we had. I paid him cash. And he would tell me that he would take care of, of everything.
1: And then you found out a few months later that that was not the case. And I know for a fact that there were some specific things that caused you not to find out. Like, talk to us about what happened with the utilities.
0: So with the utilities, uh, something that became a, a, an ongoing pattern and a very distressing one was that After months of asking about the bills and wanting access to keep on top of the utilities, I would often be home alone when the utilities would be shut off. And I would always be by myself and I would always have to pull out my credit card to pay extremely large amounts of outstanding balances.
1: In order to turn the heat and an electric on in your house in the dead of winter, correct?
0: Correct. Uh, The first time this happened was uh, in the spring and then the summer and then again uh, towards the end of the relationship in the winter. And what was so distressing about this was that I found out from the utilities company that he knew every single time that we were going to be without power. They gave him a shut off date and he left and would leave me there, not knowing that I was going to be without power. And the very last time he did that, he was away for days on end. And I had to call in favors from the local community to help me reconnect. I could always pay, but it's very difficult to make payments with a British card. And it was not uh, possible for me to be uh, uh, put on the account because at the time I did not have social security number.
1: Of course, I understand. And it wasn't only you that was in that house, correct?
0: Correct. There was a a, a whole wonderful menagerie of animals, many of which were very dependent on on heat and lighting.
1: So again, let's go back. What specifically prompted you to call me in the late summer of 2019? Do you remember our conversation?
0: I remember very little of our conversation because I was so distressed, but I had reached out to my uh, former partner's family, just a few trusted family members who I felt he was closest with. And I brought to them my concerns that he might be hiding a drinking habit that he was struggling with. And one of them had a friend who had um, used your coaching services and found it so life-saving, literally life-saving, and they passed on your number to me, and I called you to seek help because I didn't know what to do.
1: And you called me to seek help for your husband. Do you remember that? I did. Yes, that's that's okay. correct. And you explained to me some of the habits that were happening and you also suggested to him that he should reach out to a recovery coach. Is that correct?
0: That's right. I offered um, to pay for uh, you to help him. Um, I did not know anything about alcoholism. Uh, I don't know anybody personally from within my family who's ever struggled. I've very rarely been around anybody that i would notice to be drinking so i wasn't the most uh, qualified really to help him but i wanted him to get help and i wanted to stick by him through that help and what was his reaction to help as with many things when i would ask if he would accept outside help or information or guidance he was not open to the idea And he could be extremely um, aggressive in his shutting down of that idea.
1: Aggressive how?
0: Verbally, verbally aggressive. And then um, often uh, he would leave. And uh, a very common pattern of his was to not speak to me, nor look at me, nor want to lay next to me at night for days on end until I would just drop the subject and beg for things just to be normal, if I promise not to bring things up anymore, and then we would end up uh, just trucking along like nothing was wrong.
1: So part of what he did was to make you seem as if you were crazy. Correct, and that sometimes is known in the world as gaslighting, which is manipulating someone by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. Okay, and it actually comes from a 1930s play called *Gaslight*, in which the main character attempts to drive his wife crazy by dimming the lights in the home, and and um, then denies that the lights are actually changing. And this is part of what we know today as psychological abuse. And you also talked about the fact that he gave you the silent treatment every single time you brought up the fact that he needed help. In addition to those two things, what other frightening behaviors did you see?
0: Towards the end of the relationship in particular, one of the most frightening things for me was noticing cameras in my home that I had not placed there and which I did not give consent for and it made me realize that going right back to the beginning of our relationship my former partner had shared with me an audio recording of of what he had taken of his uh, ex-wife in a conversation that she never knew existed and he had shared it with me in a very triumphant manner almost as though I managed to almost as though he was saying you know I managed to get some kind of evidence against my ex on 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 uh, recorded against her, her without her knowledge and I realized that this must be an ongoing pattern of behavior but it scared me because I was finding cameras in pens which had USB sticks hidden in them I was finding um old webcams that I'd known he had used in the past for keeping an eye on the house um, externally, but then inside the house in the places where I would often find liquor bottles. And I felt that I was being watched and listened in on to make sure that I wasn't um, uncovering any more of perhaps his drinking.
1: I see. Did you ever find any outward violent or physically violent episodes occur?
0: There was one instance in the fall of uh, 2019 where I had had my suspicions that perhaps my former partner had not been faithful to me. The reason I had that suspicion was because he had accused me of being unfaithful when I was essentially housebound in the house that we lived in due to its location and not being able to drive. And I thought, this is coming out of nowhere. Why is he suddenly accusing me of being unfaithful? And I thought, what What if he's turning what he does around on me? And I still to this day feel extremely guilty for this. But he left his computer open on um, and I saw that he had been having conversations with multiple young women talking about his inability to handle his drink and that he couldn't talk to me about it being extremely flirtatious with these women and I chose at that point, which was already past midnight, to confront him on this, I was so upset, because at this point, he still had not admitted to me that he had had any kind of struggle with with alcoholism. And here he was talking to what were essentially strangers on the internet about this, and it hurt me so much. And at that point, things did get a little bit violent.
1: When you say a little bit violent, can you share with us what that means?
0: Yes, um, he broke my tripod, which is part of my filming equipment for my work. Um, He pushed me past a door. Um, He never hit me, but he hit me with a tirade of, of words, threatened to have me deported. He threatened my life. He threatened my dog's life, my new puppy at the time. Um, It was extremely scary, and and I called you in absolute panic because I didn't know what to do. I had never seen this reaction before. He had never, up until that point, uh, right towards the end, shown me any kind of outward aggression. He had always been extremely um, placid, but very subtle in his abuse until that point.
1: So from the moment you called me until the moment that we have reached this point, It came to about, I don't know, five or six months. During that time, what made you stay? What was going through your mind? It was a little bit of denial.
0: I'd say a lot of denial. I felt ashamed that I was not able to fix things. I wanted to fix things. I wanted to stay. I, I loved my former partner so much. I would have stayed till the ends of the earth if I felt that he truly wanted to change. And I believed in him. Even after the, the outburst, I still believed in him and I wanted all of the good that I'd seen in him before. come back. I wanted the person back that I fell in love with and moved country for and stayed with and became a stepmother for. I, I wanted that person back.
1: So through all of this time, it took that violent act and that feeling of being in terror. Would you say that you were in terror at that point?
0: I was. I was in terror, but I was also so emotionally numb that I almost lost sight of reality in the sense that I didn't realize that there could be a potential way out for me. I thought, this is my bed. I lay in it. And if I stay, I can fix this because I'm a fixer. And that's a pattern for me, having bounced from relationship to relationship in the past, seeking validation.
1: So you had the idea in the beginning that maybe I know that you came to me with thoughts of maybe this isn't as bad as I think it is. I heard that a few times. Also there must be a way to get him help so that he can work things out. And am I really in as much danger as I think I am? Correct? Correct. Absolutely. So here we are in the um, almost at the cusp of uh, 2020 and then it came to a head and then tell us what you did next about leaving the house.
0: I had never felt that my life was truly in any danger up until the very end of the relationship. Um, I had always felt safe when the children were in the home. At the weekend when they would visit their father.
1: Not your children, correct?
0: Correct. They were uh, his children from his former marriage. Um, And he uh, was extremely angry with me one afternoon and he um, put a hole through my phone, which still exists. And I realized that if he's willing to do this with the children in the house, though they did not witness it, um, what else is going to be next? And I went to the police station to get Uh, This was the second time I'd gone to the police station to file a police report and also to uh, seek a temporary restraining order.
1: Which is what you did, correct? Correct. Okay, Okay. so then you asked the police to have him removed from the home, correct?
0: It, It comes as standard with a temporary restraining order. They said he would have, I think, either 15 or 20 minutes to gather items. leave i asked if they could give him more because he had animals in the house and it was one of the most difficult decisions of my life because the children were there at the time and i did not want them to witness this i'd hidden so much from them and tried to keep a sense of normality from them but i was advised over the phone when i tried to seek a restraining order over the phone that first of all i'd have to appear in person, and that also you cannot seek a temporary restraining order, at least where I was, um, for the future. So I couldn't wait until the children were gone. If I was in fear for my safety, I had to act immediately.
1: How did it make you feel doing all of that?
0: Like the worst human being in the world. Like I was giving up on everything I'd fought so hard for, that I was going to be traumatising his children, that um, I had no real future because he had always been my hope for the future and I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel at that point.
1: You found that at that point you said it was your second restraining order. Did you honestly feel that you were in fear of your life?
0: I did at that point. His demeanor was unlike anything I'd seen He had been explosive in the past, as I told you that night when he broke my tripod and and threatened me. That was my first time seeking um, advice and making a police report, though I did not want to wish. uh, I did not wish to have a temporary restraining order at the time, hoping we could fix things. Um, But this second time was different because I I don't know if it's too watery to say, but sometimes people just have a look in their eye and I didn't recognize This person the way he looked at me anymore and it scared me that much to my core it was just like there was nobody behind his eyes so I had I had to act
1: and you called me immediately and we discussed you're going to the police correct I am really glad that you have shared this terrifying story with us and I know what you went through and we're going to talk about how you have made it on the other side how you have crafted an escape plan from this situation and what you learned in in terms of your own self-development and what you learned so that you can share with others today and other men or women that may have been going through the same thing i'm very glad you're with us here today em, and how brave of you are to share your story thank you Okay, so when we come back more with M and the pushy broad from the Bronx. And if you'd like to call in and give us some questions, we'll be happy to answer them for you. Loving and leaving an active alcoholic with M and I'm going to really get into how she was able to have a much better personal freedom journey when we get back.
0: Welcome to Soul Activation Podcast, a world class broadcast of insight and inspiration with the renowned healer and coach, Suzanne Alexandria. In this series, she dives deep into the magical sea of you, to the place in you that's ready to activate. Tune in live every second and fourth Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com.
1: That's drkathyobear.com. Tune
0: into the show, Heart Change Consciousness, with me, Dr. Trish DeRosher, as stories of inspired activism come to life. Listening to conversations with your favorite authors, change makers, and many more who practice inspired spiritual activism and transform vulnerabilities into sources of strength. Let's be inspired together through my show, Heart Change Consciousness on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Are you ready to let go of the I can'ts that are holding you down? Valerie Trujillo invites you to join her community on a mission to collectively heal as a tribe, where your vulnerability is heard and reciprocated. So tune in to Love and Light with the Crystal Blue Oracle, every second and fourth Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information about Valerie and her work, visit crystalblueoracle.com.
1: Hi, I'm Patricia McNair, host of Divine Guidance with Patricia, and I'm here to help you live a more authentic, spiritually connected life. Join me every first and third Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on transformationtalkradio.com. Being who you are in everyday life, is the key to unlocking soul wisdom within that our whole self already knows. Get ready to embrace your spiritual, mental, and emotional well-being, your whole being. Discover your gifts and strengthen your connection to spirit. We will explore earth guidance, divine truth, and love, past life lessons, and so much more. So listen in to Divine Guidance with Patricia and join in your personal adventure to triggering, opening, validating, and being all that you are. For more information about me, visit divineguidance.earth. Welcome back, KKNW listeners, Transformation Talk Radio listeners. I'm Ellen Stewart. I'm the pushy broad from the Bronx, and I'm here on my show subbing for Dr. Pat today, Recovery Recharged. We are in the middle of a fascinating story with Em, who is talking about her fight to freedom and loving and leaving an active alcoholic. Thanks for staying with me, Em.
0: Thank you for giving me a chance to share my story.
1: So here we are, you have gone to the police, you have filed a restraining order, and you have gotten yourself free from this. I want to be able to let our listeners know that this is a Transformation Talk radio piece, which means that there is a full transformation here. So let's talk about what you did and how you finally made it out.
0: Well, uh, the, the most difficult part after um, filing my temporary restraining order was seeking a final restraining order, which was not granted to me. Um, It's very difficult in the tri-state to uh, protect yourself unless there is severe physical violence, which I was not going to lie about and therefore could not um, have the protective order I felt that I needed. Um, However, I did have a wonderful friend who I had been confiding in, and she said to me, if you need to leave, I can give you shelter. I will come and get you. You can bring your animals and I will drive you here so you can heal.
1: And that's also because you were brave enough to share your story with others. Tell us about that because sometimes women or men that are in this situation are hesitant to share their story. What do you think about that? I think it's only natural for us to want
0: to protect our partners whether they are going through something which is, you know, struggling with addiction or anything else. We want our partners to be seen and loved for the people that we love inside them. And I had spoken to my friend. I don't mind naming her. Her name is Kate. Uh, she, uh, she had asked me how I was really doing because she could see a change in my behavior over that winter. And I just told her one day, not so great actually. Um, And she was very good at asking me to just slowly open up to her. And she had been through something similar in the past, and she had seen the warning signs, which I didn't find out until later. Um, And uh, she really used her intuition with how to guide me.
1: So by that time, it was maybe mid-February, so you came up with a plan. What was it?
0: Well, if I was not able to um, secure my final restraining order, she was going to uh, fly over from Colorado to New Jersey, rent a car, pack me up and get me out of there. And that's exactly what happened. Yes. Correct. I didn't have to wait more than a day after court concluded before she had put an entire plan together. I was incapable of making any plans. I was inconsolable. Um, I was fearful and I, I just wanted to get out of that house. And, Um, I hadn't seen my partner since court concluded we were not in the house together at any point after court and she came to get me and she managed to rope in some some friends of hers from the tri-state area they packed me up within maybe an hour and I was gone
1: and that has just come up on your year anniversary of being away is that correct
0: That's right, yes. Uh, It was, uh, I think, February 27th. uh, No, sorry, February 17th she came to
1: get me. So now you are in a position where you have had some time and distance between what happened to you and had a really good chance to take a look at everything. Talk to me a little bit about what you got from our experience together and what you've learned about addiction and how it's a family disease.
0: Oh so much. I didn't know anything. It's all about addiction. Before we started working together, I thought that I was the cause, that I could change it and I could do so much to help, but I realize now that I didn't cause the disease, that my partner wasn't always um in in control of the way that he treated me, that it wasn't um it was never personal to me, and I was often talking to the disease and not to the person with the disease, and that I couldn't change it, and it wasn't my fault.
1: And tell me how you've grown yourself over this time period. What do you think you're taking away in terms of your personal growth?
0: Well, I, I had to really look at how how I felt it was okay for me to stay knowing now that i was being psychologically abused it it really was psychological warfare for well over a year um and and i had to worry about why why I didn't have any boundaries. I had no boundaries at all. Why didn't I deserve those boundaries? And we we did a, a lot of work you and I over the first couple of months that I came to Colorado and you, you told me not what I wanted to hear, but what I needed to hear about my codependency on, on other people.
1: Give me an idea of how that spilled over into a few things. When you say boundaries, what did you have trouble with? saying no um accepting that
0: uh i could speak up for myself and asking my former partner and people around me in general to respect my boundaries um i didn't even know that i didn't have boundaries i didn't know what a boundary really was i just knew that sometimes people would treat me in a way that left me feeling terrible about myself
1: and also we talked about that. You talked about the fact that you realized that an, an, an addiction is a disease and that you couldn't cure it or you couldn't fix it. You mentioned also that you be, you had a fixer role. Talk to us about that, how you felt. Well, response. I think a lot of people who are used to uh,
0: rehabilitating animals and wildlife often have a fixer personality. Um, and I I want to help people and animals. I want to love people and animals. It's just a part of my, that what makes, what makes me me. And I never give up. If somebody is not giving up on themselves and an animal is not giving up on themselves, I will never give up. And I, I felt that I could always, um, if there was uh, any, uh, any proof that my former partner wanted to change, that I would stay and I could really,
1: really help. So that denial was a real thing and the never giving up. And of course, um, taking the kind of care you do with animals because it is your profession, you become their mother. So there's no such thing as giving up on a live human being. And I understand that. So talk to me about how you felt for the first time in your life for about putting yourself first. I felt selfish. I felt that I didn't truly
0: deserve to assert myself i i felt that if i did assert myself with boundaries that it made me selfish even though i didn't feel that about anybody else anybody else could put up a boundary and i will always absolutely respect it and be like you know what you go girl you've got a boundary i love that i love that energy but for myself it was almost like an imposter syndrome i don't deserve to have boundaries or respect
1: but you did feel in some ways that the line for you was not to be treated abusively, correct? Correct. And we talk, you talked about the fact that it wasn't sometimes out and out physical abuse, which sometimes for me, it, from what I see from my clients, makes it a little bit more sinister, right? And psychological abuse and verbal abuse can sometimes cut in a very different way. Could you talk to us about the organization that you worked with and what you're doing now in terms of helping and speaking out against domestic, verbal, and physical abuse?
0: Sure. Well, when I went into court, um, I was... Very kindly guided by a wonderful organization called DAISY, and that's D A S I. They helped me to understand how to protect myself. They explained to me that what I was going through was domestic violence. And when they used that word, I said, no, 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 he never hit me. He never, uh, he he never, you know, threw me down the stairs or broke my wrist. And they said, no, the way that you're being left without electricity, knowingly, the way that he is draining you of your finances, the way that you're not able to go and buy groceries because he won't take you to go and get groceries. Remember, we were very remote. That is all control and it is domestic violence and you don't have to put up with it.
1: So when you actually went to court, would you give our, our listeners an idea of how these organizations help you?
0: Absolutely. I had never been in court before. I haven't had so much as a parking ticket. So to be in a courthouse with a judge and people listening within the courtroom to what I had to say was terrifying. And as someone there on a computer writing down everything you say, It's it's... It's very scary and I was in another country where I don't understand really the the, the justice system here and so they paired me with somebody who sat by me and said, this is what you need to bring with you. We can't advise you on what to say because you have to speak your truth, but what you do need to do is bring your documents in triplicate form. These are your court dates. If you need us to explain any terminology to you, we can certainly do that. And they sat there with me on every single court date, bearing in mind this spanned about two to three weeks that I had to continually go back into court. Um, And I was never alone. They physically held my hand and let me know that I am not alone and that they believe me and that they're there for me no matter the outcome.
1: It was such a big help to you because i do remember and i want our listeners to really take heed to m's story because the emotions and the feelings that one goes through when one sees this happening all around them is something that i want to call your attention to if you are feeling scared angry in denial hurt shameful, guilty, confused, ignorance, if you're feeling like you need to blame yourself or you feel like you need help or you find that you need to control something or fix the situation, I want you to go to pushybroadfromthebronx.com or call my 800 number, 800-889-1757. I am doing free complimentary half-hour sessions that uh, can be used for co COVID-19 stress relief, or can be used for you to tell me if you have a problem and need to learn more about addiction and whether or not you are going through some of the things that M was going through. Em, talk to me about what you do now and how you help people and how you are speaking out.
0: Well, for a long time, I felt that I had to protect my abuser I thought that uh, by speaking out just because I wasn't believed enough by the court uh, to get a final restraining order that perhaps others might not believe me But then I realized that it doesn't matter who believes me. There are people out there who are still going through domestic violence and they don't have to feel alone. And having my platform where I share my tips on helping, you know, to to raise your your animals, um, I I just started sharing little pieces of my recovery, showing myself coming back to life and coming into myself as, as a woman, embracing myself, setting boundaries um, and holding myself to uh, a better standard really and 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 working with you as my coach as well um, learning more about myself and sharing what I learn about myself with people being honest about it being vulnerable and letting people know it's okay that your past doesn't define you and you can change and you can have a better life if you want it
1: And also, I know that we worked a lot about, like you said, codependence and what addiction is all about. And I think sometimes that's really critical because when you started with me, the first thing you said was, I need to help someone else. And then you realized that the help you needed, if it wasn't going to be for him, was definitely going to be for you. Did that come as a surprise to you? It did, because although I knew that I had
0: codependent tendencies, I didn't realize how deep-seated those were and that they came at the detriment to my own mental well-being. So I really did a lot of work on going back to my childhood and being extremely honest with myself and going, you know what, it's okay. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be in control all the time. It's okay to struggle. It's okay to also want more for yourself. It's okay to grow and evolve.
1: So let's talk a little bit about the message that you would give to women who might be in your shoes. Let's just talk a little bit more in detail about what kind of signs someone should look for in terms of whether or not they may be living with an active alcoholic or addict. What do you think?
0: I mean, it's a little bit difficult for me to say because I think every alcoholic's tendencies can be a little bit different and based on who they are personally. I do feel that a lot of what my partner did to me wasn't necessarily just because of the drink. He made choices that other alcoholics might not make. Um, And I just want anybody who is listening who thinks that they might be living with someone who's hiding alcoholism um, is is to reach out to someone who does know who is professional and who can guide you to to learn more about what alcoholism is i never realized until i spoke to you that i couldn't really expect an alcoholic to speak to a non-alcoholic about what it is to be an alcoholic because i couldn't relate so you helped me understand that that sometimes i have to give it up to somebody else who can help guide me, who actually knows how to guide others.
1: And I'm sure it was quite a relief for you to realize that what you were actually seeing was as difficult as it actually was. That you were being gaslit and that you weren't going crazy and you were not responsible for these events. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, actually, I've come out quite proud of myself because I realized that um,
0: I was able throughout all of the abuse to stay um as as kind and as gentle with my partner as I possibly could. Um because as much as I don't condone what my former partner did to me, there's still a person in that in, in him who is struggling with something that I really do sympathize with anybody who does have to deal with that. It is a disease, it's incredibly difficult to deal with. And it doesn't just because someone has a, a difficulty with alcohol, it doesn't make you a bad person, or weak, or bad anything like that it, it it's just something some people struggle with and there's so much help out there and i would fully encourage anybody who is struggling to reach out to someone who can help to guide you through that and you do deserve a much better life
1: and also knowing that like you said you do deserve a better life which means that you do not have to put up with behavior that is not helpful In addition to which, if somebody does not wish to make appropriate changes in their life, and all you are getting from them is hurt and negativity, and maybe as far as to say verbal or physical abuse, then it's time you decided that you deserve better. So what, what sometimes happens is that people don't decide they deserve better until there's a crisis point. How many times did we talk about you leaving that situation over the six or seven months before it took you to leave?
0: Almost every time we spoke, really. I mean, the times that I would call you, there was one time I was crying, just sitting in the dry bathtub, not able to move, not knowing, I felt like the walls were closing in on me. And you just said to me, this isn't, this isn't healthy. Loving somebody shouldn't hurt like this. And a person who loves you will not hurt you like this. And something that was so helpful that you said to me, which to this day resonates with me, is that sometimes in order to allow someone to get better, you have to give them the space to do that. And you said, maybe it might be an idea for you to go somewhere else for a little while. And if things, you know, when he manages to get himself some help, you give him the space to change, perhaps you can meet in the middle sometime down the road. And I really needed to hear that at that point, because I felt that there might still be a way forward for us together. But now, having been gone for a long time and working on myself and reflecting on the abuse, I know that that's not something that I would like to go through again. And I I don't know what my former partner is doing these days. I hope he's managed to get himself the help that he did did and possibly still does need. Um, But certainly, I, I want to be in a place where I call shots, where I don't feel that I have to hide, where I I can live a life that is just full of light and positivity and honesty, and that is what I found, and so much strength.
1: So what you're saying is it wasn't an easy decision for you to walk out the door. It was still fraught with many uh, indecisions and always feeling that maybe somewhere down the road things would turn around, correct? Correct. Correct. Yes. It was the most difficult decision I've ever had to make. And he must have told
0: me to leave a, a thousand times.
1: <laughs> well, you, you can only do things when you're ready. Do you think that if he had over that time consented to work with me and then consented to get real help, you might have stayed? Absolutely. I really do, because I was
0: willing to work with you on myself. I would have hoped that he would have been willing to work with you on himself. And, and, and if we had managed to meet in the middle, who knows? But that's not really worth thinking about in my mind now, because things turn out exactly the way that they should. And I feel that I was meant to go through that difficulty and love him and leave him enough to then learn to love and be present with myself.
1: So as you're going forward now and making different choices, how do you feel you really have grown over the past year?
0: Wow. I have such great relationships with so many people. I don't take abuse in any form. I have no problem whatsoever in saying to people, um, actually, that makes me feel uncomfortable. So let's not do that. Um, And, and I know now that if I don't understand some of my thinking, I can still reach out to you, and you can help me and guide me and, and get to the root of why I feel or react to things the way that I do. And every single one of my relationships with my friends, my colleagues, my family, every single one is so much brighter and so much more fulfilling now.
1: What made you decide to want to come on my show today and talk about this experience and the coaching experience that you have shared with me over this past year?
0: Well, first of all, with regards to the coaching, I think that a lot of people struggle to make any real um, any real leaps and bounds with their personal development because they think that they should just struggle alone. I cannot say how much having your outside input has helped so much because you're not just you know a cheerleader like, oh, you're doing great. You're a drill sergeant and you hold me accountable and I can't hide from you. And if I pull away from you, you come and find me and you make sure that I am putting in the work that I need to to support myself and to support my personal growth and then with why i'm choosing to share my story i was silent for so long and that did nobody any good and with me sharing my story it's not to throw shade at my former partner it's simply to show the events that led up to me escaping and becoming the woman that i am today who is so much more empowered and i want everybody else to be able to feel how great I feel now when I wake up and I feel so in control, so loved, so protected just by myself, my boundaries. My, I feel such a different energy now and I don't recognize the girl. I truly was still a girl a year ago and I made such progress and I think it's evident. It, it just feels wonderful to share that and I hope that others out there who might have gone through something similar can also gain something from me sharing my story, that that's why I'm sharing is so that you can see if you are going through this, you can change your future. You can have a better
1: future um, and change and help is possible. I thank you very brave for sharing your story. I know that you have gone on to do some wonderful things and you've been pretty vocal and out there about how women can get help. Um, And sometimes these things happen with men i would like you to understand that addiction is a disease and you can get help for it and also more importantly those of you who are living with active alcoholics it doesn't mean that you love them less it means that for the first time in your life you are learning to love yourself more and that is the most wonderful thing emma thank you for your courage and your grace in explaining this story, and I hope it is helping a lot of people out there. If this is you and you need my help, please call me at 800-889-1757. This is Ellen Stewart, the pushy broad from the Bronx. I am saying thank you to everybody and catch my next Recovery Recharge show every second Monday of the month.